the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. To continue our discussions concerning early Quranic manuscripts, and we gave a quick and brief background last time about the earliest Quranic manuscripts, and today we're going to focus on one of them. That's the top copy. And I want to say up front, you're going to hear a lot of Muslims mentioning to you that the top copy is the complete Quranic copy. That's not true. That it is the most accurate and compatible to today's 1924 Quran. That's not true as well. But I'll let Dr. Uh, Jay unpack all of that for us. Dr. Jay, welcome back. Good. Nice to be back with you again. And this top copy, and I've got it right here. This is the top copy. This costs hundreds and hundreds of dollars. It's now probably thousands. This is a facsimile of the entire top copy. And you have to have it written in a, a scripture so you can read what's here, because you can't read what's here, obviously, because this is such an early manuscript. It's an 8th century manuscript. It's not a 7th century manuscript. Uh, we already know that. And if you look, go through it, you can see pages, some part you can't even read because it's it's been it's water damaged. Yeah. Yeah. So they didn't even keep a good uh, care of it. It even looks like it's been written by different scribes and different uh, over periods of time. So we don't even know how long it took to write this, uh, and we can't do uh, we can't do carbon dating of the text because uh, because of the fact that you when you carbon date you only carbon date when the fact the parchment the, the, the leather uh, the exactly. animal skin yeah. not when the ink was applied to it. But let's just look at it. I'd like to go to the slides now and let's just look at this manuscript and let's unpack it a little bit. Well, you can see there is the cover and you can see even the, the, some of the pages are missing. A whole entire pages are miss, mm-hmm. missing. Half the material is missing on that here. And you can see there every time you see one of these colophons here, that's the from one verse to uh, one chapter to the next. That's a, a surah, uh, a surah uh, heading. Let's go to the next page here. When you look up here, Conclusions according to what Alta Kulich, this is the scholar who had spent five years looking at it. He is the one that really controls this manuscript because it's there in, in the Topkapi Palace. He is in Istanbul himself, so he's had access to this more than anybody else. And he dates this to the second half of the first century and the first half of the second century due to the voweling and the dotting. And uh, that's all the, so he's already putting from the late early to mid 8th century. Even though we would like to publish this sacred text as the Musaf of Caliph Uthman, our research indicated that it was neither the private Musaf of Caliph Uthman nor one of the Musafs he sent to various centers. So he makes that admission right from the upgo. He dates it, again, to the 8th century. We're going to find out new material that's coming out next spring that's now, that's now, that's now going to date it even later. 
So hold on. I can't say it yet. I'm not able to do that because it's not been published. But there is a new scholar who you and I know, yes, he's a good yes. friend of ours, who has uh, just finished his doctorate on the Tope copy. That's right. Yeah, that's his He's spent years studying just this manuscript, and he's going to give us some interesting new material, but it probably won't come to be published until next spring. So hold on to that, those of you who are watching. Conclusion of the Alta Kulich, back in 2007, they said there are deviations from grammatical rules, the Lan, and spelling mistakes in the Mosafs attributed to Caliph Uthman. In fact, he concludes there are 2,270 instances where there is a difference from the consonantal skeleton of the Fad Musaf. The Fad Musaf would be the 1924, which was then in 1985, made the official text. That's the Huff's text that we all talk about. So that's this, this one that I that I have here, this little guy. This is the Huff's text. 1985 is when he says Fad. So when you look at 1985 and you compare it with the top copy, 2,270 letters, words, that, that means meanings right. and all. These are consonantal texts. Remember, this is consonantal differences, not dots or vowels. Mm-hmm. That's what he's talking about. Hugely significant. You'll see why in just a bit. Now, here's an example. Dr. Keith Small, when he was living, this is what, uh, too, that he wrote in his book. Chapter, uh, you have the chapter 14, verse 38. You have the top copy over here, and it says, you know what we conceal and what he revealed. In the Kyrene text, the 1924, which is known as the Fa text 1985, the text that we have here in our hands in that same verse, it says, you know what we conceal and what we reveal. So from he, it's been pluralized. So that has huge significance. Definitely. One is talking about, let's say the top copy is saying, uh, it's almost like Allah is talking and saying somebody, let's say Muhammad is the one who revealed or vice versa, right? Muhammad is talking about himself in a plural, which is uncommon. And, uh, uh, you know, saying that Allah revealed. In the second one, it's the same person talking about himself revealing something. Or we could be the plural tense for God himself. That's right. God refers to himself in the plural tense all the way through the Quran. Here's another one. This is Surah 3, 158. And in the top copy, it says, If you should die or be slain, you shall not be gathered. But in the surah that we see today, it says, if you should die or be slain before him, you shall undoubtedly be gathered. It completely contradicts itself. That's right. This is judgment day. So <laughs> yeah. what's going to happen? Are you going to be gathered before him or not? That's a that's a theological problem exactly. there as far as belief and practice, if that's the case. I want to show you some of the material that Dan Brubaker has brought up with a top copy. Mm-hmm. Dan Brubaker has looked all through this. And here is a reference to chapter 9, verse 72. Uh if you could just read that, if you can read that, I don't know if you can or not. Uh, yeah. So, and the huwa is the issue. That is, there it is right there. See where the green arrow is pointing? That little word, huwa, has been added at a later date. It's a smaller script. Right. So it's kind of like adding a definitive, uh, you know, thing like we're talking about the uh, the great reward. This is going to be the great reward. So it's reward. nothing more than than, than than putting emphasis on it. That's It's emphasis. Without it, you could still read it and understand it. Perfectly okay without it. Exactly. So what's it doing there? Well, it, it seemed like it could be a, a part of the standardization going backward, reverse engineering. It's because this has it there. That's right. Yeah. So it's standardizing the tests putting in there so it agrees with the Huff's text, the 1924 hours. And we know this because this is a Kufic text and the Hoa is not in the Kufic text and it's obvious that somebody added it later. There you go. Okay, so there's again a top copy. Here's one where the name Allah has been added in the margin. The missing Allah. In chapter 66, verse 8. Lam, 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 he, Allah has been added with a completely different nib. Can you see that? A much smaller nib. That's right. Why? 
because they need God's name there because it's in the Huff's text. It's standardizing it, yeah. bringing it up to date. So you can see that this is this is another variant. These are not insubstan- uh, unsubstantial. Here is uh, the top copy where in chapter 4, verse 167, in the number one up here, the first eraser of the, of the letter Allah is in green arrows. That's right here. You can see it's 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 been added. It's been taken away. They've erased it because it's it's one too many. Mm-hmm. So there's a could be that's a scribal mistake. Number two down here, the blue one, uh, shows the shadow of what was first written and which was Alihi Qad. Allahu Qad. Allahi Qad. Okay, already has uh, has already or Allah has already. They've erased that out. Why? Because it doesn't match. It doesn't match, and it's not in the Huff's text. Right. Up three here is one that Dan was just still looking at. Here's another erasure. It can be found in line 10 as well. Uh, but he hasn't really studied this. He wants to, you, you can't tell what has been erased. You can try to see what's been erased. He doesn't really know, but obviously a letter has been erased. So here you can see three different manipulations in chapter 4, verse 160 in the top copy, proving that there has been manipulation. But uh, the most important thing about these erasers and corrections, it shows that there was a fluid process of editing the text at a later time. At a later time. But yeah. you cannot say you cannot say in any shape or form that the top copy is complete or that it has never been changed, or that it is the standard text. Even the, and remember, this has already been dated to uh, to I want to get it this right, seven forty nine. So mid eighth century is what its current date is. We're going to hear different in about another five or six months. In two thousand twenty three, we're going to hear a completely different date, and they're going to prove it why. But I can't say it yet. We we're not permitted to do that until they publish it. Wonderful. What are we going to talk about next before we wrap up? We're then going to go into the next one, which is the Samarkand. Wonderful. Thank you, and thank you everyone for joining. Until next time, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to CIRAinternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. We will let Dr. J, of course, uh, unpack that of us. What we're talking about is the Samarkand, the Samarkand manuscript found in Tashkent, Uzbekistan. Dr. J, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. you know, manuscripts evidence are fascinating because they are hard evidence, hard proof. These are scripts. This is codex. So we're talking about books. A codex is a book that has a binding. These are not scrolls like they had to use with papyrus. These are actually manuscripts that are be- that are made on animal skins. Mm-hmm. All of these are animal skins. Therefore, they're much more durable. Animal skins last almost as good today as the day they were printed. The difficulty is that the dates that we put on them are are haphazard because you cannot really date the script. You can only date the parchment as we're going to get to with uh, radiocarbon dating. Uh, they could be, you can keep the manuscripts there or the parchments there for hundreds of years, tens of years, years or months and before you even use them, especially if you keep them in storage as mm-hmm. the Arabs did. Remember, many of the Arabs did not make these parchments. These were all made up by the Byzantines up in the north. And they would then raid their, uh, their we call them godowns, what do you call them, uh, warehouses, and bring parchments, wholesale parchments down to Baghdad or to Damascus, and then they would then write on them. But they would take time to do so because it all they could use them for many other political reasons. And so these manuscripts all start to appear in the 8th century, which is perfect for what we now know as the Abdul Malik al-Hajjaj 
context. And so you, this is not surprising the dates are put there. But the dates they're coming up with, people like Doroche are using paleographical or cartological uh, categories. Now, what's that mean? When you talk about paleographical, you look at you you look at the style of the letters. You look at the kind of paper that the the kind of parchment that is used. You look and see where the animal comes from or what period it comes from. You can use radiocarbon dating for that as well, though it's very inexact, especially for something that's this new. But, uh, cartological, you look at the, actually the shape of the letters. You look at also the, wow, what kind of designs are in there. You look and see if there's designs that are there that are similar to buildings. And if they're similar to buildings, that's what they would do. They would put uh, geographical uh, marks on it that were similar to a large building, like the Dome of the Rock or or like another big mosque. And then you know when the mosque was built, you know that these manuscripts were made around the same time. Or you even look at styles of writing, styles of letters, like the, the word al or the Aleph, the Dagger Aleph. We know when the Dagger Aleph was introduced, and that's why you then know pretty much that if it's using it, it is either added at a later date or this was at, at that time, this was well known, that you can date it that way. You can see where you have the, the Tar Marbuta and the Aleph Maksura. They were added and they were used at a northern area, but they were not used in the middle part in Mecca and Medina. Mecca and Medina used a Sabaic text script, so they would not have had the Tar Marbuta. They would not have Aleph Maksura. And so you can look at geographical locations when these mm-hmm were actually introduced on the manuscripts, putting them geographically. And that's why we know almost all of these manuscripts. They all have Tan Marbuta. They all have Aleph Maksura. Therefore, they're all from the north. None of them are from the Hijaz. That we can say. Now let's get to this one here, the Samarkand. Because the Samarkand is exciting because it is a monumental text. Let's go ahead and look at it. And you can see pictures of it. It is enormous. And again, monumental, large, mean, later development. And why is it later? Because these are Christians who actually start introducing monumental uh, texts in their Christian Bibles. Right, and they start to copy that. And that was only introduced in the 8th century. Mm-hmm. So that's why you know this is either 8th or 9th century. The Arabs then followed what the Christians were doing. Mm-hmm. All right? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Because they are actually getting the material from them. They didn't make this themselves. They didn't have the technology. The Christians had the technology for that. And uh, when you look at this, you can see it is huge. It only has about 8 or 9 lines per page. When you look at the, uh, you can see it's very unsophisticated, but here's what's interesting. Alta Kurich looked at this, and he called this an embarrassment. Um, he dates it to the 8th century, either uh, 720 or even mid-8th century, and he gives six reasons to discredit it. He completely discredits it, says, please don't use this. He says, first of all, it has undisciplined spelling. It has different writing styles. So he says it's put together by different scribes who don't agree with each other. It has scribal mistakes. It has copious mistakes written by someone with little experience and didn't know Arabic very well. Mm-hmm. So obviously, in some cases, they probably didn't even know the Arabic. They were just trying to copy from another manuscript with later editions. And it only goes up to Surah 43. There's 114 surahs in the Quran. Yeah, and I have the entire uh, images myself. Yeah. You've got the entire images yeah. as well. Yeah. Now, here's what's interesting. We, when we even look, sorry, that didn't need to do that. When we look at the 43 surahs, one sur- only one surah is complete amongst those 43. And that's common, by the way. That's in surah six. These, uh, manuscripts, uh, except for the top copy, you'll find a lot of incomplete surahs in there. 24 of them are partial, and 18 of the 43 don't even exist. So when we say up to zero forty three, we don't mean complete up to forty three. We're really only talking about one complete and twenty four partial. If you take them like chronologically, that's what it means. Uh, but there's missing parts. 
there's missing parts all the way through. Right. Okay, so we have to be careful with the Samarkand. It is, in some ways, it's a lazy man's manuscript. I remember when uh, we were in London, uh, my wife and I were we lived there for 25 years, and they brought it to the British Library. And they had the Samarkand there, and then they had the Sinaiticus there, and they had the Alexandrinus there. And they're putting them all three as the three great codices, two from the Bible, and the great codex of Samarkand. And this is before Alta Kulich, or just about the time that Alta Kulich came out with this book. By the way, let me just say something about this book. The first 86 pages in this book are all written in English. You need to read it. Which is the introduction, basically. It's the introduction, and it's all in English, and it describes what they found. You've got to read this because he just tears to pieces all of these. Mm-hmm. And this is where you find out the, about the problems of the Samarkand. And here they brought the Samarkand to the British Library. This had, was just coming out about that time. And we were reading it, and we were what they were saying at the British Library was not what Alta Kulich was saying. Alta Kulich was making a, a mockery of this manuscript. And here at the British Library, they were effusing it and ebullient about it and saying, oh, what a great manuscript. It is a complete manuscript. It has no problems. This is the beauty of the of the manuscript. And we were hearing what Alta Kulich was saying, the Muslim scholar, who is the only one that really looked at it, completely contradicting what the British Library was saying, which is typical of Western scholars. They will yeah. they will only say what the Muslims will tell them. Had they only read what Alta Kulich, they would probably not even had it on display. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. J. Next time, folks, we'll be talking about something called the Ma'il or the British Library uh, manuscript, which is a fragment, to be honest with you. It's not like a complete manuscript anyway. All that to say is that we are going to focus on one of each of these early Quranic manuscripts per show. Until next time, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for Sira International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to sirainternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. We are highlighting a book, actually, by this title, Creating the Quran by Stephen Shoemaker, who, in my opinion, and Dr. J's opinion, really did a good job in addressing a lot of the controversial issues that we've been highlighting, actually, for a while. Uh, for the last couple of episodes, uh, we were zooming in, myself and Dr. J, on early Quranic manuscripts. And we're doing that intentionally to give a background behind uh, why those manuscripts are important. They tell a story about the creation of the Quran, obviously. Today, we're going to talk about what is called the Ma'il, the Ma'il, the Ma'il, the slanted. That's the, the, uh, the, the Ma'il is an Arabic for slanted. And we're referring specifically to what is called the British Library uh, Manuscript or the O.R., 2165. That's the number that is given to it. With me here, of course, to talk about that is Dr. J. Dr. J, welcome back. Well, good. Yeah, it's great to go through these manuscripts to finally get some hard evidence and to look at what's on the ground. We have always said this. If you're going to talk about history, go to the history, go to that period, go to that time, and let's look at these manuscripts. So let's go put up on the screen here the Ma'il itself. There's a picture of it. We've got it right here. This is the Ma'il. It is huge. This is a life-size facsimile. You can't buy this anymore. This is very expensive. I've got the entire manuscript here, and I can hardly hold it. Uh, I'm just opening it up here, and you can see that it is big, and you can see it's slanted. And uh, some people think that this is a palimpsest. There is a bleeding through of some letters below it. 
but if you look at the bleeding through, you will notice that they're going the other direction. Really, it's the bleeding through from the back section. There's a word that's been added here. Here you can see an entire line that's been added in a different script. This is obviously the standardization. So you can see that there are some problems here. You notice it doesn't have any dots on it. It doesn't have any vowels. So no dama, no kasra. The dama would be the u vowel that would be above the letter. The kasra would be the e that would be below the letter. The fata would be the a that would be above the letter, the slash. Those three vowels don't exist. Dots don't exist either. The nun, which would be the one dot above it. The ta would be the two dots above it. Or the tha would be three dots above it. The ba, one dot below it. Or the ya, two dots below it. Don't exist on any of these. You can see that page after page after page. You can just go through it and you can see none of them have it. So this is a very early script, a very early manuscript. It's written on parchment, so animal skin. And it does have, in some cases, three slashes above it or in some cases where you can see a versification. So verses have been added here, but they don't agree with the versification that we have today in other ones. At times, you will see a letter has been added in red in a different color. That's been added at a later date. Here you can see a verse of a medallion has been added here. And I'm starting to get tired holding this up. It is so heavy. But this is a life side facsimile of what is there in the British Library. The British Library has this entire manuscript, and that's why we have it here. Now, let's look and just look at the next slide here, and let's see what we now, what they're saying. Alta Kulic says very clearly when he did the study on this, and remember, it's Alta Kulic and Esanadu, these two Turkish scholars, they took these six manuscripts, this is manuscript number three, and they dated it, they looked at it, they spent five years, they were the first two to actually look at the manuscript and do just that. And when they looked at this manuscript, they said that this, they dated it to around um, 8th century, early 8th century, uh, so about 727-25. Before that, the man who actually was responsible for this manuscript was Dr. Martin Lings. Dr. Martin Lings was in charge of the Ridback Gallery. He was in charge of all the manuscripts, Quranic manuscripts, there in the British Library. He is British. He converted to Islam wrote a book on Muhammad, a famous book on Muhammad, on the Sira, somewhat sanitized. He threw out what he didn't like and kept what he loved. Uh, he did a little bit of that, not as much as, as uh, uh, what's her name? I can't remember her name, the, 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 uh, the Catholic nun who went even further. But he certainly was the one that dated this manuscript. And look at the date that he puts it. He put it to the late 8th century, mm -hmm. late 8th century. Let me just show you, tell you, this is a personal experience. I had I would go down and show people this manuscript all the time. And back, I'm not, I can't remember the year, maybe the turn of the century, just about 2001, 2002, I got a phone call because this had always been sent 790. 790 was the date for this manuscript. I got a phone call from somebody who said, Jay, have you looked at the manuscript, the manuscript that's in the Ridback Gallery? I said, yeah, what, what do you mean? What's going on? He says, look at the date that's been attributed to it. It's been put to 690. I said, 690, that's 7th century. Well, I wanted to find out why they dumped the six. So I went to look, and sure enough, on the tag below it, it said 690, late 7th century. They put it down a hundred years. Who is they? Well, I wanted to find out. So I went on a phone call. <coughs> I didn't say who I was. I called up the head, and I can't give you the name. I, won't, I said I won't give his name. I, uh, but if you look in the early part of this century, who was responsible for the Ridback Gallery and all the manuscripts, that man, 
He answered the phone call, and I said, sir, um, this, I gave my name, and I said, I see that on the manuscript, the 2165, you have reduced it down to the 7th century, 690. Can you tell me why? What's your criteria? And he says, well, it stands to reason. This is when the manuscripts were put. I said, I could have put it to 650. I said, oh, you mean you haven't done any forensic testing on it? He says, no, I'm not a manuscript. I'm, I'm, uh, my whole area of expertise is medical journals from archaic medical journals. I don't do this kind of work. I said, well, then why did you put it to 690? And he was kind of quiet. And I said, listen, do you mind if I bring the Guardian and the Times? Uh, we're going to get some journalists to come and interview you because you have now basically said that this is the earliest manuscript in history. And we'd like to know why. We'd like this to go public if you don't mind. And he was quiet. He didn't say anything for a bit. And he said, well, well what, what do you think I should do? I said, well, hold on a minute. Why are you asking me? You don't even know who I am. What do you mean what you should do? You should just keep the, the date that's there. Dr. Martin Lynx had a reason. Look at his writing. Look and see what he said. Look at the article that he wrote about it as to why he put that date there. He put it to the late 8th century. You're putting it to the late 7th century. And you have no reason and no idea, and you're going to be held accountable for putting it down 100 years, and you don't, and you're asking me what you should do. And then they hung up. I hung up within three days. When I went back there, it had been put back to 790. Now, can you see, a telephone call of 10 minutes to the man who's responsible for this manuscript, who knew nothing of what he was talking about, and I was asked the question, why in the world did he put it down 100 years? I bet you that it was the Muslims that asked him to do this. I'm guessing. But if someone who he doesn't even know can, can, can uh, 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 put him on the hot seat, as we need to do, if I can do that with this, a 10-minute phone call, can you see the problem we have with academia today? Yeah. Nobody knows what they're talking about. And even if they thought that they did know what they're talking about, they're not taking a position on it. That's why this is in such disarray. But that's my own personal experience that happened just about 15 to 20 years ago. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, uh, we are going, of course, to continue with our discussions about manuscripts. Next time, we're going to talk about something called the Perigino Petropolitanus or the BNF. And we will share more about that. And, and Dr. J has a copy, a hard copy of one of those in here uh, for you to see. Until next time, have a blessed day. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.